The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another exciting and enthusiastic and amazing episode of the Bible Says What podcast. That was laying it on a little thick, but I'm yeah. I'm Pastor John Gibson from Living Hope Church in Centerville, and my dear friend is with me today. Hey, I'm Pastor Paul from Sandy Hook United Methodist Church in Columbus, Indiana. Man, we are just excited to be back together today for another episode where we're going to talk about stuff that makes you go, hmm, like, and this is another one of those, you know, it, it transported yeah. me back to moments as a parent. And I, I, we probably, if you have kids, you've been here with me uh, and you've experienced this reality, but that moment that your child asks you where babies come from. Hey, daddy, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you start to Where like do babies come from man go and it, you know so go ask your mommy <laughs> i know i feel my neck like getting warm and like uh, um like you know and i'm always afraid as a father like i'm gonna i'm gonna let out of the bag more things than than my wife wants me to at certain ages you know like when when <laughs> so that's so we want everybody to like really embrace that emotion that that feeling of what happens when your kids ask that question for our question today because this is a doozy and it's one of those weird it's one of those weird ones like you know where we're it almost feels like we're not talking about serious bible things but we're it's one of those things that everybody wonders but nobody's brave enough to like say hey what the heck is that about right so here's the question today okay i'm gonna drop it drop it like it's no I'm, i'm not gonna sing that but here's the question did adam and eve's children marry each other like they were the only people right but everybody let's be be honest be honest now listener you've read that story and thought to yourself well god made adam and eve and then they had kids and somehow the world was populated and we, we all know, hopefully, your children, your your parents talked with you about how babies are made. So somehow the world was full and it began with two people and their children. So what is going on in this Bible passage? You know, and we have this creation story and all, we talked a few, you know, just this past episode on the, the flood story. And there's different things going on in the world and their accounts of this, the, you know. So what is happening is somebody is like there's some cosmic, you know, here's really what's going on. God's up in heaven's just waiting for everybody to think about that question and then just bust the gut like, ah, oh, sucker. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm, I am convinced that God has a great humor. And this is one of those Absolutely. where he goes, look at them all squirm. So somebody tried to confuse us. What's going on, Paul? What's going on? Well, this is the question we we just ignore for the most part. Really, it's just one of those is when I was a Christian, uh, I was just taught to accept the Bible uh, by faith. And you ask the question, you don't get a good answer, and you just go, okay, that's fine. They must have married each other. And so the answer to the question, did Adam and Eve's children marry each other? The answer that I was given is yes. That's the only possible answer. Uh, We're here today to say, well, there is another way to look at this. We're not saying that we're right and that other way is wrong, by no means. But I think as we study the Bible, that we have to be open to viewing um, 
answers to questions that might stretch us a little bit. Super important. On it. Yes, we super can important to say God. that. Yeah, rest right, Israel, right, wrestle with God. Super important, and we we want to super like clearly communicate that at the front end of this episode. This is one of those topics that can like freak you out as a, and let me say freak you out as a person who needs the Bible to be a certain thing. I've had lots of, you know, hairy conversations with folks when, when their foundation of inerrancy or the Bible being exactly what they've always thought it to be is challenged or another view comes along that says, well, maybe this is different than what you thought. There's kind of two responses. Either one, we spaz out and call everybody else a heretic and off we run with maintaining our closed view of everything, right? Or we allow diverse and sometimes challenging to our own belief thoughts enter into the picture and make us grow, you know, and I'm a firm believer and that's in the scripture somewhere. Now debunking the myth that all pastors know all scripture right off. I do not know this one, but as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another it's in the Bible somewhere. I'll look it up yes, later. And it is. Yeah. It is. Pastor Paul knows all scripture, so he'll be able yeah, to quote it or something. But you but, should look it up later. Right. But, but it is important to remember at the beginning of this conversation, this is like our disclaimer, be stretched today, be challenged today, don't freak out today, because it's going to be okay. Wherever we land in this conversation, right, on one side of the spectrum where, you know, spouses and children are marrying one another, and that's weird, and, you know, no, it's not okay to go marry your sister today, you know, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble, that's not okay. What's going on from that well, side in, to in what states, is happening? Yeah, it's illegal. <laughs> Just don't not do that. States, we're not. But states. <laughs> we're not saying that God's saying that's okay. That's right. But we are saying that we have to navigate. And there, like this story, there are lots of parts in the Bible that we would rather just turn away from and not deal with. But there is something here to learn. Something here that can grow us and show us what God is all about. Um, and I think it begins just. Let's just start back at the beginning, right? And kind of get our heads wrapped around just the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. When it was written, how it was written, and Genesis 1 and 2, if you've read them, there's some similarities there. It's almost like two creation accounts that are happening. There's some really interesting things going on in Genesis 1 and 2 about the creation of the cosmos. Um, And important to note that Genesis 2 is not just another version of that creation, but it shifts its focus somewhere. And Paul, let's talk about that. Why don't you begin us off, talk a little bit about what's happening in Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, I remember the first time that I read Genesis 1 and 2 back to back, and I'm like, well, these stories are different. And I've always taught they're saying the same thing from a different perspective, but the days are mixed up. Things are not in the right order. There's obviously two different accounts. And so the first question is, is somebody trying to confuse us? And I don't think that's the case. I think uh, the other question is, did the author of Genesis, did Moses make a mistake? And probably not there. So maybe as we take a look at this, there are two different purposes. The uh, They're talking about two different things. So I, I'm going to suggest that Genesis 1 is about the creation of the cosmos, which I think most of us accept that, right? The creation of the cosmos. And I I would suggest that Genesis 2 is not another version of that. I would say it shifts the focus to the story of Israel. So Genesis 1 is the creation of the cosmos. Genesis 2 is the creation of Israel, the people of God. 
Well, that's interesting to me because wasn't wasn't Genesis written though during that all all that like wasn't there some <laughs> fly on the wall like making notes like where did Genesis come from? and I Aaron, think this is Aaron, important. Aaron <laughs> right. was there with his iPad typing <laughs> everything out right as they were traveling along behind Moses. And, uh, right, uh, but that's not what happened. No. Genesis, the account of the creation of the cosmos, and as you're uh, sharing this Genesis two, we see a deeper um, purpose behind it. It gives us a clear understanding of how that came to be with understanding when was Genesis written. I think for a lot of Bible readers, they probably just have no clue. Like I know a lot of times, you know, when I read scripture, there's things that I just scratch my head and say, I don't know, and just don't even like navigate through that. But let's answer the question. When was Genesis 1 and 2 written for, for the Bible reader out there? Genesis 1 and 2, in fact, all of the book of Genesis was put together during the Babylonian exile. Which and did so not happen be, at the beginning of the world. Right, no, no. That would be about 600 <laughs> years before Christ, right? Five, 600 years before Christ. Uh, and so that's when the scribes, and this was one of the questions that somebody asks about the scribes and accuracy, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's good for us to wrestle with this here. The scribes during the Babylonian exile took all of the oral traditions and the scrolls that have been uh, passed down from generation to generation and put it into the format that we have in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. So they're the ones who put the pieces together to be what we currently have in the Bible. They didn't necessarily write it, they, they edited it, they put it together. And so when you're reading uh, the Bible, specifically Genesis, you have to think that they are putting these stories in such a way that speaks to their current situation in exile. They're not home. They're not where they should be. And so the book of Genesis speaks to this displacement of Adam and Eve out of the garden, not where they're supposed to be. They're in exile. And so for us, I think we can see there's parallel stories going on here. I love that. You know, it's, this is view of, and the Israelites need to, needed to hear this in the midst of probably uh, of their history. One of the most chaotic times of, of Jewish history is th- that they, Yahweh was a, was a chaos tamer, you know, and this, this cosmos creating event, you know, happened ex nihilo, tohu and bohu, you know, the, the formless and voidness of the world, tohu, bohu, baby, <laughs> go look that one up. It's beautiful. One of my favorite little nuggets, um, but it's, it's this formless and void chaotic place brought into order. And why, if you think about that in the context of the Israelite people in exile, what a powerful message to receive that their God, Yahweh, began the world by taming the chaos of the universe and bringing it to order. And if that God could accomplish that, then it speaks something powerful to them in their exile. And so Genesis 1 makes a whole lot of sense is that this cosmic creator enters in, Yahweh enters in and brings order to chaos and, and brings the world to being for the purpose of relationship, was, which was central and different than all the other relationships people had with other gods. Yahweh said, I've come to be personally in relationship with you. He, he was speaking directly to uh, the humans in the world, uh, unlike other gods, where you had to go through intermediaries and and have altars and you, you never spoke directly to a God. Yahweh came down and said, I'm going to speak into your life. I'm going to be present with you. And in a powerful way with Adam and Eve, he walked in the garden with them. What a controversial, radical image of God that we see displayed in Genesis 1. And for the people of Israel in exile, wow, what hope that would have brought them. 
and then jump to Genesis 2 and we see how the message they need as this cosmic chaos tamer enters in, he he drills down and gives us a, a more specific story at the heart of the Pentateuch and Old Testament for God's people repeating throughout Genesis. And let's talk a little bit a little bit about that in Genesis 2. We have the cosmic chaos tamer in Genesis 1. Now Genesis 2 gives us another picture um, that speaks to the Israelite people in exile, kind of the story of Israel in miniature, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, before you think we're crazy, just hang in there with us. We didn't just come out of this, come up with this out of thin air. Ancient readers and modern scholars have been wrestling with this for so long. And for us to really kind of jump back into that worldview, let's talk about Adam's son, Cain. And this is going to get to that question that we started with, uh, where did the babies come from? So Cain's story is in Genesis chapter four, right? And uh, Genesis chapter two through four, as we'll discover, is not about the creation of the first humans. Uh, yes, I just said that out loud. Okay, I'm just going to be clear and let you just hang out there on that ledge by yourself, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't say that. I said it. Pastor Paul DeZay Pastor Paul from, from Columbus, Sandy Hook, Indiana. Indiana. This is right. I just said that. So Cain kills his brother Abel, right? And is found out and God banishes him to become a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 12 of chapter 4. And so Cain becomes paranoid, afraid that everyone who meets him will kill him, right? And so God puts a mark on Cain's forehead, uh, not the mark of the beast, a different mark, and to let everyone know to keep their hands off of Cain. And so Cain is satisfied and he wanders off and settles in the land of Nod, which means wandering in Hebrew, east of Eden, right? And he finds a wife, he settles down and has kids and builds a city. Now, this is that where that question comes in. Where did Cain meet his wife uh, so that they could have kids? John? That sounds like a question that when a kid at church comes up and asks me, I, I say, well, little Jimmy, go ask your parents. <laughs> and then I watch from afar, you know, like and then the, the parents walk. turn around and say, hey, go ask the pastor. <laughs> and then the pastor says, go ask mom and dad. It's this oh, big never ending uh, circle. When the but there's there this group no of answer. people, you know, along with that question, we can also, where did the posse come from that Cain is so afraid of? Like, wh where, where is the, he built this city. Where do these people come from? Are they all just offspring of Adam and Eve or is there something else yeah, going it, on here? It doesn't make sense, does it? it? It doesn't. I mean, you look at it, it, you look at it from a logical standpoint, where did the people come from to build the city, right? Where did all of this take place as he was wandering? So, that, so in order for him to marry his sister, his sister would have had to left and wander with him too. In fact, others would have had to in order to build a city. But the scriptures don't teach that at all, not even suggest it, right? And so as Cain wanders, he meets people, and that's where, this is the other viewpoint that we uh, are wrestling with today, is that there were other people in creation um, besides those in the garden. Which, so which starts to make sense because Yahweh, in the Old Testament, finds himself entering in 
and dealing with a very specific group of people to display what he's wanting to do in the world universal but it, but he always is entering in and dealing with the israelite people so when you see that in the context of the creation account it would stand to reason that yahweh enters in with the israel israelite people as the rest of the world has been created and other humans on the earth but it just seems you know it kind of makes you start to itch and get nervous a little bit when you talk about that because we have trouble if it's not in the scriptures then a lot of us think that it's just not true you know um and we have other answers in scripture in genesis 5, 4, we, we get little hints that Adam had other sons and daughters and we get creeped out with this whole thing. But uh, it's, again, it's another viewpoint to look at the world through the context of God dealing with Israel. And what does this passage in Genesis 2 specifically speak to the Israelite people who are in exile? What is it communicating to them about what is God wanting to do in the world? Yeah. Well, God is, God is with them, even in the rebellion. The God is with them even in their sin. The God is with them even in their exile. And for people that are in exile, I mean, just to think about uh, God marking the forehead of Cain saying, do not go after him, was a sign that God was with him even in his sin. Cain killed Abel, but God is still protecting Cain. And who is he protecting him from? People outside of God's family. Which is Israel, right? It's, well, it's really interesting. Yeah. Outside of Israel, because who else would they protect him from? Are they saying he's protecting him from people in Israel? Who right. What I mean is just it, the siblings. It, it drops us into the, the narrative of Israel, which is yes. always Israel and and the world kind of moving in to threaten or change or distract or whatever from God's ways into the world. So th- so there's this our overarching picture where we're seeing the rhythms here. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? How In Genesis 2, we say we see Israel in miniature. Let's talk about what are some of the themes that we see in the in the life of Adam and Eve, but then also this basic plot line that shows up in the in the people of Israel. Yeah. So Adam is created by God outside of the garden and then put into a garden paradise. Eden means something like abundance or delight. And so when he enters paradise, he's given a command to follow, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On that day, he eats it. God warns Adam will die, right? That's the 17th verse of chapter 2. So far, so good. But notice what happens on the day Adam eats the forbidden fruit, which is an apple, right? He doesn't die. In fact, Adam lives to the ripe old age of 930. That's That's old. old dude. (laughs) (laughs) So what does that mean to die on the day he eats it? For Adam, he did not die, right? Death means that Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden and not allowed to return lest they eat of the tree of life. So death in the Adam story has a double meaning. It means physical death because being banished from the garden means they can't eat from the tree of life anymore. So therefore they're going to die. That's the tree that keeps them from dying. It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? Um, So in a way, Adam and Eve die physically by being evicted from paradise since they can't eat that fruit that gives them immortality. And so mortality is introduced. They eventually will return to dust. But death also has another meaning, a metaphorical meaning, which means to be exiled from paradise is death for Adam. 
man, I love the themes in there, you know, and we see those same connections all throughout the scripture in Ezekiel 37. We see the same connection between death and exile. The prophet Ezekiel has a vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. So a mass uncovered graves and the bones represent Israel in exile in Babylon. So they've been taken out of the promise, taken out of right standing with God. And now they're in exile in in Babylon apart from the presence of God and they're dead. But then something miraculous happens. These bones are brought back together, like knitted back together, muscle and flesh. And God breathes, God breathes new life back into them. Does that sound familiar to to anyone? Right. He breathes into this brokenness, death, dust, and brings them back to life. Verse seven through nine. So why would Israelites say the exile, that exile is death? Exile was not like being relocated today. Israel was a people of the land. They were a people of the land. The land was connected to their relationship with God. It was the promise. It was the covenant. It was the gift that God gave them. And in 2 Samuel 7, God promised that they would have the land as God's gift forever. It was a symbol of that right relationship with them and have a descendant of David sitting on the throne someday. But in exile, all that was gone. It was removed, including the temple where Israel went to commune with God. The temple wasn't just a place they prayed. It, it was the inhabitants of the very presence of God. And for that to be gone, they no longer had contact with the presence of God that gave them life. They were no longer able to enter into this sacrificial system of forgiveness of sins so that they could be in right relationship with God. Being in exile was a big deal, and it was reflective of what we see happening in Genesis 2. Yeah, it meant the Israelites were completely cut off from God. And they felt like God had rejected them. I mean, I would feel that way. And he had finally turned his back and walked away. And without God, Israel is no longer the people of God. Israel ceases to exist. Israel is dead. And Ezekiel, bringing the bones back to life, represents Israel returning from captivity. Israel is restored, reconnected with God, and Israel is brought back to life. Like Israel in exile, Adam did die the day he ate of the fruit. He too was exiled from Eden. Adam and Israel share the same story, the same fate. But and check the it parallel out. between Adam and Israel didn't end there, right? It doesn't end there. The story of Adam and Israel follow the same plot, light, plot line. Think about it. Adam was created by God and exiled from paradise for disobeying the command. Israel was created by God and exiled from Canaan for disobeying the law of Moses. Parallel plot line. It's like the multiverse, right? I love the Marvel drop. All over again, right? And this is the rhythm of scripture, you know? And, and what I love about this is it's not just about Israel either, Paul is that we see ourselves as well. If, if we will allow ourselves to see the scripture through the context of Israel, through this, this mirroring of creation and exile and the people of God and the promise and the covenant and exile, we also, if we step back again, we talk about this often on our podcast, if we step back and see these themes, they repeat that yes. our sin in the same way it is reflective in the people of Israel walking away from the promises of God is reflective of Adam and Eve walking away from the promises of God in Eden. It's a picture of our sin taking us out of the presence of God and right relationship. And then God sending Jesus into the world 
to offer us a way to enter back into that covenant and that promise and recreating us, bringing the breathing life into dead bones. Jesus once and forever entered the grave. And I can't wait to preach this on Easter Sunday, but not, not just to claim victory over the grave. God is doing something even more invasive to death. He takes the, the very thing that personifies death and he transforms it. He takes dust and he makes it the birthplace of life. Like he yes. uses it for his glory and his gain. I love that about this picture. And we see ourselves in this Genesis 2 account. It's repeating in our lives as we live in exile separate from God. And God invites us back to be reconnected with him. What a, a beautiful view from this crazy question of did the children marry the children? <laughs> I love it. And then we get to eat from the bread and drink from the cup which is the tree of life again and through that experience of communion with god we have eternal life we have been set free from exile we are brought back home boom i love that and and it shows us and here's the challenge that so many of us when we read the bible just as a history book and is there history in the bible pastor paul yes absolutely and we, we are not saying there's not, but when we read it with blinders on and, and that it's only that, we miss the, this depth of layering and rhythm and story of, of what God is doing in the world, in the people of Israel, and in the greater picture in our lives. Because the Adam story isn't about humanity. It's not about history. It isn't supposed to be read as history in that way or science. Or, and that's what our modern eyes want to tell us. But we have to enter in, and when we do through ancient eyes, and we see it through the people of Israel living in exile, we're transported to these powerful themes of God giving us a promise, recognizing that we walk away from the promise, and we're living in those consequences. But then, you know, out of nowhere, entering in when it makes complete sense and making something out of nothing. I read that today in, in the Romans passage from the lectionary. Oh, nice. God is a God who, who brings life from death, who makes something out of nothing. That's and that's what the story says. God, he still is that today. Not just for the Israelite people, but for you, Pastor Paul, but for me, God still is making something out of nothing and returning me back to the place of life with him. So, did Cain marry his sister <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe can we leave it there can we be okay brothers and sisters out there can we be okay uh people on the journey uh can we be okay of saying the bible doesn't speak clearly to this particular question so there is room to wrestle with the text there is room to wrestle with god but the bible does acknowledge that there are people outside and those people have a part to play in the story of God. And so maybe that's a reminder for us today is that we're all in this together. Well, that's a great, a great closing word. I'm thankful uh, for my Wesleyan tradition, you know, and I know there's many folks who are listening today who are all over the spectrum of how you believe about God and what you believe about God. But one of my favorite parts of the Wesleyan tradition is to give me room, to give us room to wrestle with some of these questions and uh, see different ways, to see third ways that oftentimes uh, give us hope and connect us with what's really most important in the narrative of scripture. 
and to not get hung up on things that aren't really the point, but to, to really drill down and see that what is God communicating in this crazy question, uh, that he extends his love to people uh, beyond what we can imagine and beyond what we think makes sense. That's what God is up to. There you go. This has been good, man. Another good episode. It's always good chatting with you, man. Well, man, this has been some kind of interesting conversation, Paul, about this whole marrying sisters and brothers thing. And we are sure glad that you took the time to join us on. The Bible says what? We hope that it has tickled your brains. And stirred your soul. But most of all, as we say over and over again, that it's connected you more deeply to Jesus. And we hope you join us again for another exciting episode of the Bible Says What podcast as we dig into a topic that is sure to make you go, hmm, as it continues to do in our faith journeys. So here's the question, uh, Pastor Paul. How should Christ followers respond to an ungodly culture? What's the Bible got to say about that? Ooh, 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 that's going to be some kind of interesting. Well, I, can't I can't wait, wait for it. <laughs> well, I'm Pastor John. And I'm Pastor Paul. And we will see you next time. Grace and peace. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?